You're listening to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hello, everyone. Oh, we're still in 2020. Ah, it's so scary. Oh, Halloween is coming. What are you guys going to do for Halloween? Are you going to do trick-or-treating, socially distanced? Are your kids going to wear like really creative masks, like face masks, not just costume masks? What? What's the plan? I want to know. Instagram me at Atomic Moms. There is a lot of talk about hair dye over at our house. <sighs> 2020. It's really hard right now for a lot of people. And one thing that's been making me feel a little better is when I remember the women in my family as well as women throughout history who have persevered despite unbelievable obstacles. It's how I remind myself that we can do really, 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 really hard things. We are wired to overcome these challenges. And that is what we are talking about today with Chelsea Clinton. In this intimate conversation, we celebrate her new book, She Persisted in Sports, American Olympians Who Changed the Game. It's the third book in Chelsea and Alexandra Boyger's number one New York Times bestselling She Persisted picture book series. This one highlights American female athletes who have faced their own unique sets of challenges and excelled because of their persistence. We're going to talk about the inspirational women who deeply influenced Chelsea's life. We talk about what life is like at home with three young children these days, the ways in which she introduced activism to her kids from the very beginning, and she reveals, oh, I love this story. It's a never-before-shared moment from her own childhood when she truly persisted. And I especially appreciate hearing how her mother navigated it. Chelsea Clinton has a long list of New York Times bestsellers under her belt. She's also the vice chair of the Clinton Foundation, working on many initiatives, including those that help empower the next generation of leaders. She lives in New York City with her husband, Mark, and three children. You're listening to Atomic Moms, and we'll be right back. Chelsea Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'd like to start this off by sending out some love to all those caregivers out there that are juggling so much on a Monday. Can you set the scene for us, what your current work from home setup is like today so that we can all commiserate together? Oh, goodness. Well, I think there are a few things that are kind of um, bunched together there. I mean, I certainly think we all owe an extraordinary, uh, incalculable amount of gratitude to our caregivers as you kind of started um, with. And certainly they deserve um, kind of that respect to kind of have have more uh, kind of manifestations in reality than I think we've seen from you know, our uh, government, certainly at the, at the federal level. Um, 
and and from many citizens. I mean, I think um, we should still be staying home whenever we can be, uh, working from home, kind of living at home, playing at home, um, reading at home, listening to podcasts at home, you know, and wearing masks whenever we're outside. And so it is, you know, it's been, I think, challenging for me um, to hear some people kind of in one moment, you know, applaud our, our caregivers, our frontline workers, and then in the next moment, kind of excoriate Fauci or masks or kind of the importance of having real um, safety and efficacy testing at scale for any potential COVID vaccine. So kind of that's my response to the first part of your kind of opening. And then kind of to the second, I think, you know, the honest answer is every day is different depending on like what's happening with my kids and kind of, you know, what's happening with their, with their lives and kind of when they need to be online or not online and kind of trying to navigate kind of, you know, my husband's work and my work and my kids work and like not overstressing our like internet because we found that like everyone's <laughs> yeah. on a device at the same time. Like our Wi-Fi does not like that very much. Um, and that, you know, most days, most things happen, but like, you know, there was a day last week where I was like, you know, was cleaning up after lunch and I was like, oh no, the, I didn't do the dishes for breakfast yet. Like, oh, oh, well, that's just, that's just, I can't, I can't worry about that today. Um, so, you know, every day is different, but we're incredibly grateful to be healthy. Um, we also recognize there's a lot of privilege, uh, in being healthy and being able to kind of, uh, work from home and mm-hmm. support our kids uh, when they need to be learning kind of from home and uh, not worrying about being able to afford kind of the masks we need to protect ourselves. Um, so, you know, I think the answer is every day is different, um, but every day is full of so much gratitude and also recognition about um, how, how privileged and lucky we really are. Mm-hmm. Yes. My daughter is in first grade and she's doing in-person learning two mornings a week. And the school nurse called right before this interview. So of course my heart just went, Oh my gosh, my throat talking to me. And I was like, and and luckily it was just that uh, I had a conversation with the principal. I like pointing out potential issues. I like to channel my inner Fauci. And so (laughs) it was just (laughs) the nurse calling me back so we could discuss some things. And so now I'm just still trying to calm myself down because yeah, every day it's different and you don't know what that call is going to be. And you don't, we're just constantly pivoting and yeah, the dishes have to wait. Sometimes yeah. I was this morning, I was like, you know what? Dishes after Chelsea. Oh, so yes. we yes. we are here to celebrate your latest picture book. She persisted in sports, American Olympians who changed the game. So Chelsea, this is your third book. We have your other two. We love them. It feels kind of crazy to call it a picture book because it's really, it's like, it's an art book with so much inspiration. Oh, well, I, I, I will pass that along to Alexandra, the just extraordinary illustrator. I mean, I am so thankful that she, you know, when I, when I first reached out to her in 2017 about she persisted, was you know, interested in the project, thankfully had time, um, because I just think she's so extraordinarily talented and I couldn't imagine these books without her, her partnership. So yes, I think it is really fair to call them 
call them our books and I will pass that along to her. Well, so you feature 13 American Olympians and I want to know which one is your daughter Charlotte's favorite? Oh my gosh, Simone Biles. That is an easy answer. I mean, she has the Simone Biles like leotards. She's not terribly coordinated, but she tumbles around and she says like, just like Simone. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> just like it. <laughs> like, like with a lot of energy and enthusiasm. <laughs> I forgot in reading this that Carrie Walsh Jennings was pregnant when she won the gold medal. Yes. And that, that reminder really uh, put some wind in my sails. And, yeah, it was uh, really important to me to include mothers. Um, and, you know, and, and Serena Williams, you know, is infamously famous for having um, kind of won the Australian Open when she was pregnant. And I, I just think uh, it is really important that we celebrate women in kind of all that we are. Uh, and, and just, you know, the amount of certainly persistence for women athletes to, I think, to be women athletes and kind of given all of the challenges that uh, women still face, you know, especially kind of around equal pay, but kind of certainly not only around equal pay. And then to do it kind of while, while becoming a, a mom was something I, I wanted to, to celebrate. Well, I, you know, I want to thank you personally and your parents for bringing Ruth Bader Ginsburg into all of our lives. We are pre-recording this, listeners, and uh, we learned of her passing last Friday. It just feels like another hard moment in 2020. Uh, It can often feel like we are in the middle of a dark tunnel. So Chelsea, I'm going to ask you to do a little heavy lifting here. In what ways do these Olympians that you feature in this book, in what ways do they carry the flame of hope for all of us? You know, I think, I think about my grandmother a lot, Ellie, in that she, she was born before women had the right to vote. And then she lived long enough to vote for her daughter for president, which I just think sort of amazing kind of what she saw um, kind of in her own life. And um, she was born to a teenage mom who didn't have the kind of resources, certainly not the financial resources, but also not the kind of um, maternal resources of kind of love and patience and and commitment and and resilience to be able to raise her um, and so she kind of lived with her grandmother for a while and then her grandmother unfortunately um, kind of uh, kicked her out uh, before her fourteenth birthday and she then had to work to support herself and put herself through school. And yet she created this home full of such like love and possibility and, and support and kind of family, um, even though she hadn't had that in her own kind of lived experience. And, and she spoke about the women who inspired her and some kind of were very much kind of her teacher, her teachers, her kind of high school guidance counselor and and some were the women that she just kind of knew through through television or kind of through through magazines, the newspaper. And she, you know, would talk to me when I was a little girl about how much kind of Babe Dietrich and Zaharias and and Wilma Rudolph had really inspired her. That kind of these two women kind of you know, 
Babe Zaharias, who excelled in so many different sports at a time when kind of so few women were playing sports and even fewer were playing kind of competitive sports. And and then she really remembered kind of some of her earliest memories of like watching the Olympics on television or watching kind of Wilma Rudolph, this extraordinary, you know, black woman, American athlete, just like literally run past everyone else. Um, and, you know, she was this like, you know, middle-class housewife in Chicago, um, but she drew real inspiration in her own life from these just extraordinary women athletes. And so I, I answer your question that way because like I didn't grow up knowing anything but like drawing inspiration from women who were proving what was possible, like on a track or in a pool or on a field, on a court, on a mat. And then feeling like, okay, I may not be able to do that specifically because there are very few people in the world who could do that. But I can like think about what I can do and just push a little bit harder and, and persist a little bit more. When I think about your grandmother, I, I just got such a kick learning that you and your mom and your grandmother had a book club together. Yes. And I just think that's so... Cool. And a lot of this podcast is about reparenting ourselves and like look, going back generations. And I, I share this with you that going back many generations, I found out that my great grandmother was not raised by her mother and there was a lot of turmoil and there, and there wasn't a lot of connection. And it's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing the ways that your grandmother healed that and created a kind of family life where three generations would have a book club together. <laughs> oh my gosh, I loved our book club. I mean, we um, thankfully had you know, similar sort of interests, curiosities, tastes, I guess, in, in books. So we never had to like wrangle over like what we were going to read. So we just got to really like enjoy the act of, of reading together and then talking about the books that we were reading. And um, I miss my grandmother every day. And my children very much like know about like their great grandmother um, and they, they call her grandma Dorothy to distinguish between like, you know, my grandma Dorothy and then their grandma, which is what they call um, my mom. And then they call my mother-in-law Nana, but it is, it's like just such a a blessing for me when like, they're like, Oh, would grandma Dorothy like that? And I'm like, I think she would. Oh. It's really brings me a lot of gratitude. Well, you just mentioned your mom and you've shared in the past that you would go to your mom's office on the weekends. I share mm-hmm. that with you. Uh, my mom is a lawyer and I remember going to her office all the time and she really instilled in me a sense of persistence. And I'm curious if you could share with our listeners just a particular moment in growing up where your mom really modeled that persistence for you. Oh gosh. Well, admittedly, um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before. I, I must have at some point, but my mom um, was a the first a woman partner at the Rose Law Firm, um, which is the oldest law firm west of the Mississippi. You know, unfortunately, founded by uh, Uriah Rose, who was a white segregationist kind of horrific human being in the late 19th century. But I didn't know any of that as a little kid. Um, I just knew that my mom was the first woman partner there. And um, she would you know, talk to me about her different cases and 
I was always so interested in kind of what my mom was working on. And I was always so proud of, of her. And then one day, one weekend, I was at her office and there was a like stuffed duck on the shelf. And I said, like, what is that? And she said, well, you know, I went hunting with some of my partners last, like a couple weekends ago, I think last month. And, you know, and I shot a duck and one of the men like took it home and they ate the meat and then they stuffed the duck and they gave it to me. And I looked at her and I said something like, you know, what if that duck was someone's mother? And I burst into tears and I got very upset. And my mother then was like very upset. And I didn't talk to her for three days. You are so persistent. <laughs> when you're a little kid, it's like a really long time to like, I saw your mother. And my dad kept saying, like, you got to talk to your mom. She feels terrible. And I was like, talk to her. Like, she's just like the movie Bambi. My dad was like, not like the movie Bambi. And I was like, it is like the movie Bambi. And, and yet, to your point about like persistence, like my mom, like, you know, every every morning before school would still come and like get me up and like help me get ready and make me breakfast. You know, uh, every like repeat, like in the evening, she just kept talking to me. She kept telling me how much she loved me. She kept asking about my day, even though I wouldn't reply. <laughs> um, you know, and then finally on the fourth day, I was like, okay, I have to talk to my mom again. And my mom promised she would never go hunting. Um, ever again, but she certainly was very persistent in showing her love and her patience and her kindness and her understanding, um, but certainly not giving up like on, on me. She didn't like leave me alone to stew. She very much like just was very persistent in, in her kind of love and care for me, even though I was very angry at her and, you know, my, I don't know, six or seven year old self. I love that she just kept checking in. Like that's such a great uh, piece of parenting advice. You know, let your kid feel their feelings, but just, you know, keep checking in. Does yeah. Charlotte share this character trait of persistence? Oh my God. And, yes. Um, I'm asking for my own. I, my first grader, Sabrina, is so headstrong. And uh, I'm just wondering how you win a fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she is super headstrong. You know, I think um, this thankfully isn't, you know, I think now like seven months in, we're in a different place now, but, you know, in March when everything, I don't know like where like most of your listeners are, but like in, in, you know, in March, in like middle of March, we, um, you know, kind of put ourselves into quarantine and like our preschool moved online and, we we did have like lots of tussles over like, you know, bedtime because we're sort of like, well, but mom, I just like, I can go in my pajamas to school. And I'm like, no, we're still like going to get up, like brush our teeth, get dressed. Like we're still going to school. And they're like, but we're not going to school. I was like, no, we are going to school. Like we're still going to school. I know it's on a screen, but like, we're still going to school. We're still going to like get up, like get dressed, brush our teeth, which means like we're still going to bed on time. And that, I mean, there were lots of conversations around like, well, but now like we don't have to walk the 20 minutes to school. (laughs) So I should be able to stay up 20 minutes later. I'm like looking at my, you know, then three and newly five-year-olds. I'm like, no, no, like we are, we are living our same routine. 
just with some serious modifications. But I think, you know, we, we, Mark and I prevailed in the end, but yeah. Prevailed. But I love, they, they have, they're like little lawyers already. Oh my God. It comes innately. Like the 20 minutes, mom. Like we're not walking the 20 minutes. I should get to stay up 20 minutes later. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. (laughs) Secretly, I'm thinking like, that is a really good point. I know. I'm always so proud of her for these, (laughs) for, yeah, her argument is always really strong. Okay. When Charlotte was two years old, you took her to her first protest rally. And I'm wondering, can you share with us, like, what was the meaning behind that experience for you as a mother? Oh, well, she, I mean, she and now Aiden have been to a number of protest rallies. And, you know, I think um, some of the ones that we went to, like when she was two, I don't think she understood. It was important for me to show her like there are lots of ways to be a citizen. Like, you know, always taken our kids with us to vote even when they were babies. Um, and yeah, I think you're a citizen like, you know, every day, not just election day. And there are lots of ways that we show how we want to be good citizens in the world. Like right now we hopefully wear masks. Um, and, you know, sometimes we have to stand up against what we think is wrong. And so like no, no ban, no wall protest. Um, we certainly took her to, I think we took her to a few kind of no band, no wall protests. I think though, the one protest that she really understood were the, like the, the March for Our Lives protests that we went to in, in New York. And granted it was, that was probably her like, I don't know, third, fourth, fifth protest. I mean, certainly not her first couple probably not her first few. Uh, and I think she like just viscerally, even as a little kid understood like, oh yes, kids should be safe in school. Also her preschool soon thereafter started having active shooter drills. And so I think she also kind of, you know, soon thereafter could kind of connect. Um, yeah, this is not right. Like I, you know, she couldn't have articulated that, but I think she really understood like, yeah, I'm three or four or five. Like I shouldn't be cowering in my like preschool classroom, practicing what we do if, uh, if there's an active shooter. Like, of course, that's wrong. And of course, there shouldn't be guns that enable kind of people to do something that is so fundamentally, like, awful. So she, like, she couldn't have said all of that to you, but I think she really, like, she really got that. And we took her to, like, one of, like, the climate marches. And um, she really also, I think, kind of that, also was she was like later and again like she's now she's like oh yeah now I've been to a lot of these marches and I think Aiden also really kind of understood that too like you know yes we should have clean water and clean air and Charlotte's obsessed with sharks and she's very worried about the rate of decline as she should be in shark populations and she doesn't understand why people think sharks are just like bad um, she will never see the movie Jaws. It will be like soul crushing for her. And, you know, so she's also able to connect, I think these like big things that we talk about or these big ideas and kind of big prerogatives that she sees when we go to marches or protests where she's like, oh yes, like this, this does connect to things in my life, things that I care about, things that I think are kind of important. And I think that's the beginning of how we help to teach kids like what's right and what's wrong. I really appreciate what an advocate you are for children globally. And I read on the Clinton Foundation Initiative site, Too Small to Fail, 
and I'll quote the site. It says, today, almost 60% of children in the U.S. start kindergarten unprepared, lagging behind their peers in critical language and reading skills. So Chelsea, I'm wondering, can you give us a COVID update on this initiative? Because I know children were really struggling to read at grade level before the pandemic. What are your concerns with distance learning and with falling even further behind now? And how can we as parents help? So I think um, I'm certainly concerned about distance learning and I'm really concerned both for obviously like families who don't have the, the tools or the connectivity to kind of plug into distance learning and also, you know, especially for the millions of kids who have disabilities and kind of receive kind of specialized education and services kind of through, through public schools and you know, firmly believe that we should prioritize, you know, really around the country, of course, if it's like if community transmission rates are low enough and if it's safe enough to get any kids back in school, that we kind of prioritize getting back into school, um, kids with disabilities and kids who are not able to learn remotely because they may not have a computer at home or their families may not have Wi-Fi at home and feel like pretty strongly about that. Um, you know, what we've done through Too Small to Fail you know, is, is both still try to support kind of parents in the places they may uh, be with kids. So we have, um, you know, a number of uh, playgrounds around the country, you know, that are now, you know, many of them are in places that are now open where there are kind of prompts on the side of the playgrounds to talk to kids like while they're playing, because we know, you know, 80% of our brains are built by the time we're three. And so much of that is through communication and parents, grandparents, caregivers are a child's first teacher. And yet we know so many people don't know how important it is to talk to kids. So just kind of wherever they may already be with kids, even during uh, COVID, again, hopefully with masks on it in a social distance way, like reminding them to still keep talking to their kids, you know, even behind a mask. We know sometimes people now are uncomfortable or they may not kind of be talking as much behind a mask, but still super important that kind of kids hear language. Um, We've distributed tens of thousands of kind of our indoor activity um, toolkit through diaper banks and food banks. So again, where kind of parents would be coming for diapers or food, kind of essential things they need in this moment, kind of giving them, you know, books and kind of activity suggestions. And again, kind of just anything to help uh, it seem kind of easy for for parents and caregivers to talk and engage um, with their kids. And we have the toolkits in both English and Spanish. We've distributed, I mean, over the course of Too Small to Fail, we've distributed more than a million books, but we've distributed uh, tens of thousands of books, especially in Little Rock, where we ran alongside World Central Kitchen, uh, kind of food distribution program at the Clinton Presidential Center. So, you know, just been trying to, to continue to support parents and caregivers and helping kind of them be their child's first teacher wherever and however we can like during COVID. Well, I have one last question for you before you get back to all this important work. I just wanted to ask because you obviously grew up in the spotlight and now with kids today and social media, it almost feels like everybody's growing up in the spotlight. 
So I'm wondering, how did your parents foster your inner confidence? How did they teach you to have a thick skin for public criticism while still nurturing your ability to trust yourself, your friends, and your spouse someday? You know, I think it was both through kind of what they did and also what they didn't allow, really, or at least mm. what they tried to stop. I mean, I, uh, you know, they, they did work very hard to um, protect me from the kind of media and the public gaze. And that was true, you know, in Arkansas when my dad was governor and then certainly in the White House. I also, like, they never got me a pager. Like, a lot of my friends had pagers in high school. Like, I was not allowed to have a pager. <laughs> me neither. Uh, yeah, I was not allowed to have a pager when that was a thing. If I needed to reach my parents, like, I had, if I was at a friend's house, I guess I could use their phone. Otherwise, I had to go, like, to the payphone outside my high school and, like, you know, drop and change and call, call them through the White House operator. Um, and <laughs> I, and quite similarly in college, like, I, you know, freshman year, a lot of my friends had cell phones. I think, I think I got a cell phone my senior year. It may have been the summer before my senior year. I think I got a cell phone like the summer before my senior year. And my parents got me the phone, but I had to pay for like the plan. <laughs> and, and I remember like, I think I was the last of my friends who, who had a cell phone. I mean, I still had like an answering, like that's how my friends found me. It's like, they'd call. I did have my own phone number in the White House, but my friends would call and like have to leave a message on my answering machine. And then I would like call them back. So I'm like so antiquated to anyone like under the age of 30 who's listening to this. And so I think that, but I think that all really mattered. I also now as a parent, I'm really grateful because I think it gives me a lot of moral standing to say to my own kids, like, you know, asking for these things to be like, yeah, I didn't grow up with that. Like it's going to be my version of like, I walked five miles to the snow uphill with no shoes on. Um, so I, I'm, but I'm really, really thankful. And I think, you know, I just, I always knew that I was loved and, and I give my, my parents, um, and, and my grandparents, unfortunately, like my first year in Washington, my, um, mom's, father and my dad's mother both, both passed away. So, you know, I think I was always very close to my grandmother, grandma Dorothy, um, for many reasons, but became especially close to her, um, because she was my kind of, you know, living grandparent. And then she um, moved to Washington. Uh, and so I just think, you know, it was both kind of the, just the deep seated knowledge that I was loved and then that I knew that they protect me as best they could. And that they also, I, you know, kind of didn't connect me in even ways that, that kids could have been connected and were connected, you know, in the, in the mid and late nineties. Chelsea, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to be thinking about your Dorothy all day. Thank you for sharing all of this with us. Well, thank you. And I'm glad everything was okay when the school nurse called you back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure I'll have bullet points for her. Uh, everybody, you can find all three of the She Persisted picture books online or at your favorite independent bookshop. You can follow Chelsea on Twitter at Chelsea Clinton or on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Chelsea Clinton. Don't forget to subscribe to Atomic Moms on your favorite podcast app. 
please leave a written review. It helps new parents find us. You can say hi on Instagram at Atomic Moms. And if you haven't already, check out my conversation with Omega Institute co-founder Elizabeth Lesser. That episode's called Where the Feminist and Spiritual Paths Meet. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Persist on Mm -hmm. Atomic Moms. Mm 